This episode of the Productivityist podcast is brought to you by Text Expander. Text Expander 6.5 for Mac OS and 2.0 for Windows sports a new visual editor for snippets. It's out now. I'm going to talk more about Text Expander during this podcast episode, but visit textexpander.com/podcast to learn more about Text Expander if you're not patient enough to wait, but if you are, stick around because I've got more to say about Text Expander during the show. This episode of the Productivityist Podcast is also sponsored by Front. Now, if you are ready to transform your team's productivity with efficient email, you've got to give Front a try. You can get started with Front for just $9 per month. I'm going to share how you can do that during this episode of the podcast. So stick around, and now let's get on with the show. Welcome to the Productivityist Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Vardy, and this week on the show, I'm joined by Don Yeager. Now, Don is a New York Times bestselling author. He's written tons of books, primarily with a focus on athletes and high-performing teams and the world of sports. So we're going to learn today about what we can learn from sports, the world of sports, from athletes, from high-performing teams about greatness. And and I think that whenever we're trying to be more productive, we're trying to get to that level of greatness. So uh, Don is a, a highly sought after speaker and executive coach. And, you know, he's he's written the biographies on, on the likes of, of Walter Payton. And, you know, he's written with John Wooden, one of the great coaches of all time, but the game of life. And we talked about a lot of things. We talked about why he was so fascinated about writing about athletes and teams, you know, uh, how he's felt about some of the projects he's worked on, what, you know, surprised him about some of them, and what he's learned along the way over the many years of writing and studying these high-performing coaches and athletes. And then, you know, how he's learned to deal with adversity and what he's learned about that. And then, you know, his daily routine, like how he frames his day, because I think we we learn a lot from athletes and high performers about how they frame their day and, and how that can lead to greatness. A lot covered in this episode. I'm really happy to bring it to you. And so let's get started. Here's my conversation with Don Yeager here on the Productivityist Podcast. I'd like to welcome Don Yeager to the Productivityist Podcast. Don, thanks for joining me today. Thanks so much, Mike. Appreciate it. So I'm holding in my hand one of the many, many books that you've written. Um, and uh, the one I'm looking at right now is A Game Plan for Life with The Power of Mentoring. And uh, you wrote this with John Wooden, the legendary basketball coach. But there's a lot more to your work than uh, working with others. You've got, an, I mean, one of your more recent books as we're doing this interview is uh, about habits for high performing for high performing teams and stuff. Like you've written a lot about performance uh, and, and, and habits and, and, and men- mentoring is just part of it. Like what, what areas do you find fascinating that you kind of, uh, you know, kind of grab onto and and kind of want to dive deep into with your work? So I would say that my desire is to look at every opportunity I have to work on a book or a project and try to figure um, what in this, in the story that I get to tell or the person I'm going to get a chance to work with or, um, or the subject I'm going to try to master, uh, what in this can I use to make me better, right? Mm-hmm. And um, where can I learn? Where can I grow? Um, whether it's in my, per- my my personal development or in my uh, my development as a leader of my own organization. And so I do. Um, I I kind of take projects on and have for the ba- for the past decade 
that I, I really basically don't take a project on if I don't think it's something that can't help me develop. And um, so uh, it's it's a pretty fun way to get to get paid uh, to learn, essentially, mm-hmm. as I as I do my job as a writer. What was one of the projects you took on that at first you were maybe not you weren't trepidatious about, but it was the one that you thought, I know there's something here. I can't quite put my finger on it. And then when you got into either the process of it or the outcome, the finished outcome, you're like, ah, that's what it was. Is there any one that comes to mind? Well, certainly, I would think probably one would be an earlier, a very early, reasonably early book for me was with um, my personal hero as a as a young uh, football player was um, a running back named Walter Payton. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Uh, Greatest running back of all time. I would argue maybe the greatest football player of all time. And Walter. Um, invited me, gave me the opportunity to live with him for the last 10 weeks of his life while he was dying and to write his autobiography. And, you know, at, the, at first I kind of thought, wow, this is cool. I mean, I'm getting a chance to, to, uh, to write with my, uh, my hero, right? Someone I worshiped in, in my own way. Um, what I did not expect or prepare myself for was the amount of learning I was going to get out of just the experience of, of uh, being in that journey, being it as part of that that last few weeks of life with one of the most extraordinary people on the planet, right? What 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 are they? Where are they going? What are they? What are they wishing they'd done differently? What are words they want to make sure they say? And um, uh, and all of that really kind of played into uh, it. Just it helped me. I, I was, and I was young. I was in my early thirties at the time, and I. Uh, and I started having um, a much greater appreciation for the perspective of of doing the right thing um, and getting the opportunity to create a legacy for myself. Even, you know, it's it's hard to think legacy when you're young. Uh, but Walter challenged me to do that. Like always, always think about how is how are your actions going to impact the way the world will see you long after you're gone. Well, and he, he, he died young too. Like, I mean, I remember watching him. Yeah. 46. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, and, and the NFL has got the Walter Payton man of the year award. So clearly his, his legacy goes beyond what he did on the field. Yes. Yeah. It is a, um, uh, he, his good works off the field became such an important part of who he was both as a player and then in his retirement years that you're, you're right. I mean, the, the greatest honor given in that league to a player for off the field behavior is in his name, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now let's, let's talk about sports in general, because I mean, again, looking through uh, specifically this book, when, it, you know, when I'm, I'm looking at the back and, and we talked about this just before we started talking, like Mike, that, that back is outdated. I've written more and I've <laughs> since then, but the cool thing is, is that there seems to be this, um, this connective tissue to sports and performance, sports teams, sports coaches, individual players. Why, why did you choose either, or maybe you didn't choose, but why do you delve into, into that, uh, either initially, or, or do you continue to look at like sports franchises, teams, uh, individuals as a source of, uh, performance and how you can go and improve yourself and improve your performance, even if you're not a sportsman or, or someone who is involved in sports? So I think that's a really important point. There are a lot of people that say, oh, I'm so over the sports analogy, uh, oh, sports analogies don't work or what? Then the truth is, I think they're the greatest way of uh, trying to put into simple form 
uh, an understanding of um, of pushing yourself, pushing your team, uh, collectively doing something that you couldn't do individually. Uh, there are just so many lessons that can be learned. My my reason for for going there though really kind of came back to um, uh, a conversation that occurred. I was a I was just graduating from college and was leaving for my first ever job. I, I had a um, I've been hired to work for a newspaper in San Antonio, Texas, mm-hmm. and um, and my father, uh, who was one of the wisest men, uh, you know, I, I mean, I hope my children say the same one day, but. My father was this amazing gift, and he he looked at me and he said, "Don, you're going to get a chance because you've chosen to be a journalist uh, to be in the presence of incredible people, right? That's what happens. You get the opportunity to sit and ask them questions that the rest of the world would love to ask. Um, your job will give you that open door, and while there, always learn something from them that will make you better. Always ask a question that will make you better." And I thought, wow, what a cool perspective. I mean, most of us do our jobs uh, and we don't think about how the access or the opportunity created for us uh, could be part of our own personal development. And I made my, I made it part of mine early and I started asking that question. You know, I, the question I chose was, if you could name for me one habit, one thing you've done consistently, uh, that that allowed you to do it, to go places your competitors couldn't go. What would that what would that habit be? And I just kept a list of the answers these great winners were giving me over the course of thirty years in journalism. Uh, I I grew to really have an understanding of what makes extraordinary winners tick. And when you start thinking that, when you start understanding their what works for them, what you realize is it's not about their physical gifts. I was talking the greatest athletes of all time, right? Mm-hmm. But almost none of them believed that their physical gift made them special. Um, they understood there was always somebody bigger, stronger, faster, right? But what made them special was the ability to develop a, a mental, emotional, um, spiritual disciplines that we can all learn from and emulate. And that was encouraging to me. That was something that really became important to me because I began to realize um, if I'm learning from them, I can be better. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it, and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. We're going to take a break from the proceedings to talk about one of my favorite apps. It's it's an indispensable productivity app for me. It's Text Expander. And now Text Expander 6.5 for Mac OS and 2.0 for Windows is available and it sports a new visual editor for snippets. The new editor 
makes it easier to see and edit snippet fill-ins, which is huge because I think the fill-ins are are those things that I love to use uh, with with so many different uh you know, applications in terms of, you know, dealing with say podcast guests. I'm now working on uh, my book. So I'm, you know, saying, Hey, who are all the people I want to reach out to, to say, Hey, don't forget to support my, my campaign for my, for my new book, you know, dates and date math are also part of the, the, the new editor that they've been there for a while, but now they're easier to see. And there's nested snippets so much more. Just the ability to find things faster and easier is great. You can insert words and phrases and forms and templates and more with just a couple of key clicks everywhere you type. And you can take control of your time and productivity by letting Text Expander handle your repetitive typing tasks. I do that constantly. You know, I I don't I've memorized the snippets that I use consistently, the ones I use for my home address, the ones I use for the email addresses that I have, the ones that I use with, hey, if you want to book uh, as a guest on the podcast, here's the snippet. And it's really simple. And, and one of the cool key things that I do is you try to make it so that they are easy to type and easy to access on both your mobile devices and on your laptop or desktop. I'll give you a great example. So let's say that someone wants to do something with me or they're, they're, you know, they want to do some kind of joint venture. And right now I'm in the throes of writing this book. Well, right now I'm saying no to pretty much everything. So I have this snippet that basically politely says that with, uh, you know, some static, text, but I also have some fill-ins in there to give some personality and some personalization to each of those responses. So that way it doesn't just feel like I'm sending this, this rote kind of template or this, this, uh, this, you know, impersonal email. But the cool thing is, is that the, (laughs) the, the, the keys I have to type are N0P3, which is nope, right? So you can create these really interesting, uh, shortcuts, uh, the, you know, the snippets that you, that you're using, but you can create really interesting ways to, uh, the abbreviations and such that'll allow you to remember what those snippets are in the first place. So if I'm saying, Hey, you know what? I'm working on this book right now. Oh, someone wants to do something with me. Well, nope. Oh, that's right. N zero P three. Boom. It fills, it shows up. Then I can personalize it with those fill-ins. It, it just makes it so much easier and so much faster. And then I'm not, languishing over this, you know, what what do I say to this person? How do I email them, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, you can also join their affiliate program to earn a little bit extra too. So if you want to become a text expander affiliate and you want to tell everybody about text expander, you can do that as well. If you want to get 20% off your first year with text expander, I've got a deal for you here. Productivity is podcast listeners will get 20% off your first year. Just go to textexpander.com slash podcast and you will get that 20% off. I've been using Text Expander for years. It is a staple in my productivity toolkit, and I'm sure it will be one in yours as well. I'd like to thank Text Expander for sponsoring this episode of the Productivities Podcast. Now let's get back to the show. How do you handle adversity? I mean, looking at the people you've talked to and what you've learned from them, what have you taken from them in particular uh, and maybe what you brought to the table from yourself, either from your personal life or from your family, like that, that helps you handle adversity. And what could you share with, with the, the people listening that would help them with adversity? Well, I think the biggest lesson I learned was to put adversity, to, 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 to treat things as seasonal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, adversity is a season. It's winter, right? Uh, life is not all about summertime. doesn't matter if you live in Florida as I do. Uh, or San Diego, uh, as I know maybe some of your listeners do. Um, uh, it doesn't, there are, 
winter is always around the corner, right? There's an opportunity. So just understand that, um, that it's coming. And so there will be moments that you can't prepare for that will change your life, change your direction. Know that they're coming. And in those moments, uh, make intellectual choices about being um, better better in those moments and and not being bitter, right? Mm -hmm. And then once you've made that choice, uh, recognize that this is just a season. I'm going to be better. I'm going to not blame. So I'm not going to be mad at the world or God or whoever for the idea that something that unexpected just happened to me. Uh, I'm going to be better. And in the, and, and when I'm done being better, it will be on to the next season and I'll be, I'll be able to survive. And, um, and so that to me, I think it was my greatest lesson from them in adversity. The two greatest lessons was one was, putting it in, in seasonal perspective. And the second was recognizing that you're, you can't control what happens, what you can't control is how you respond. Right. Right. So, right. Uh, and so uh, choose better. We talk about habits and performance and obviously consistency plays a role in that. And, you know, when uh, I'm a sports fan, I'm, I'm right now looking at uh, the book Astro Ball by Ben Ryder, who uh, predicted that the Astros were going to win the world series uh, three years before they actually did. And, you know, I look, I'm looking at this book uh, that, you, you know, you worked on with John, John Wooden, who, I mean, his, his quotes are legendary when it comes to mentoring and, and, and frameworks and consistency. Um, how important do you think that having a structure and frameworks and, and even, you know, when you're looking at like, uh, again, you, you said you, you worked in San Antonio, Greg Popovich and the San Antonio Spurs, like they have a system, they have a process and, and no one is bigger than the system. Do you find that, that when it comes to performance and, and habits, that having that framework, that structure there is, is, is critical to not just help you handle adversity, but also to help you thrive when adversity is now past its, its seasonal effects? Of course. And I do think, the beauty of that kind of structure and that kind of belief that every day is a um, is another step in the process, right? Every day is another step in the process. Also helps you manage the the mountaintop, right? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the great predictors of failure in uh, this world is success. You have success. There are people out there who have success and immediately stop doing the things that got them there, because man. I have found the mountaintop. I am really good. I am the number one sales person in my company. And all that work that you did to get to the top, you stopped doing because you don't think you have to do it as much. I mean, all the little details that you had to use to manage, you've stopped doing because you now believe the that you're the very best. And so, um, that process doesn't just help you in moments of adversity. It helps you in moments of success. Considering you've written so many books, uh, you've obviously got a process and a structure to that as well. I mean, if you're, if you're for that kind of uh, output, especially strong output, because what, 11 times New York Times bestseller, right? Best-selling yes, author? Sir. Yeah. So there's yeah. got to be some... <laughs> that's not just something that you can flip a switch and make happen. So what is your process when it comes to crafting uh, books either on your own or with others? Maybe there's, there might be two separate processes that you need to keep, keep in mind. So could you share that with me? Um, sure. I mean, so I'll give you a couple of, um, couple of little nuggets that I think have been kind of important to me. One, at the beginning of nearly every project, I try to, um, 
identify a sentence or a couple of sentences, a, a general thought that I want to make sure the reader um, walks away with. Uh, and, it, and it, whether it's in, and you know, and if in, in the ideal situation is that they feel some version of this thought on every page, right? Or at least mm-hmm. at every chapter. And I take that thought, I write it out, and I tag, I tack it to the front of my computer screen um, because it reminds me every day. That's that's the message I want to make sure they get. And then as I'm writing, I'm asking myself consistently, um, will they it, it, will they have clarity around the idea that this is the message I want them to receive when they read this page, when they read this paragraph, when they read this sentence. And so to stay clear, I, I um, require focus and that and that single sentence or two, which takes some time, right, to kind of boil a book down to to I want to make sure they feel this. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, they, if I've taken the time to put that together, then that sentence uh, rides on the front of my computer screen and helps me throughout. Um, the second thing I'd offer, I'd, I'd tell you is that um, I'm a I'm a voracious outline freak. Um, I love outlines uh, at the beginning of a project, and so before I really get into the writing of any book, uh, I have sat down and I have uh, created an, a pretty intricate outline for what that for the way that book is going to go, uh, opening chapter to the closing uh, words. And which I try to ask myself, how does this chapter flow to the next? How will the reader go from here to there? How do these thoughts all stay connected? What's the what's the arc of the story going to look like? What's the what's the roller coaster here? Is it you know are they going to be up here, down there? How will I get them back up? I mean, I I think through all the details of the storytelling on the front end, so that as I'm writing, I never feel lost. Let's talk about some of the other uh, books that you've, you've actually. Let's let's shift gears here a bit. Um, out of all the the people that you that are no longer with us, or that people that you've looked at uh, that you haven't worked with, who who would be the ones that you would look at if you have any that you say, you know, I really, I mean, in terms of performance, in terms of what they what they were able to accomplish uh, in in life, I would have loved to have been able to sit down, pick their brains, maybe even work with them on on something together. Are, are there any uh, people that come to mind? Maybe not necessarily in the sports world. Maybe it could be somewhere else. But does that ever come to mind? And if so, who would those people be? Yeah, I, I would. It's funny. Um, I've said on a couple of different occasions, even recently, that if I could have picked somebody that I would just would have given anything to have uh, not just met because, you know, I don't want I'm not looking for photo ops. I'm, I'm looking for learning. Uh, it would have been Mother Teresa. Um, fascinated by her, fascinated by her willingness uh, to put uh, her personal uh, needs and desires aside uh, in behalf of others fascinated by the um the way she handled adulation in the last few years of her life right um had an opportunity to leave where she was and 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 be the keynote speaker at every major conference in the world right because mm-hmm. that's who they wanted and uh and she turned it down because that wasn't where her calling uh, meant for her to be I, mother Teresa uh fascinates me and that would be she would be tops on my list Okay, we're going to take another break and talk about 
the other sponsor for this episode of the podcast, Front. Now, I've been using Front for a while now with my team. You know, my uh, my assistant, Connie, has been using it. And what I love about what Front is offering is that it's kind of like that bridge between, you know, email, which it, it handles amazingly well, but also the to-do list or the task management app, because there's a lot of instances where you're going to take an email, and I'm a big believer in this, and put it into your task app. But that can get cumbersome and things can get lost in the translation and then you have to move the email back in front really bridges that gap you know uh, forward cc's and bc's you just they just add to the chaos of your inbox so y- you want to get out of that and the lack of accountability which is why you would use a task management app th- that can lead to missed messages balls being dropped things falling through the cracks and and work being duplicated and a lot of redundancy in there. Well, Front is reinventing email for the way teams work. With new workflows, efficient collaboration, and all their communication channels in one place, that's a big deal, one place, nearly 5,000 businesses rely on their Front inboxes to accomplish more as a team. So here's how we're using Front right now. I get emails sent to me, and there's certain things that I don't need to be dealing with, such as uh, podcast inquiries, things like that. I can then take those conversations that are initially private only to me in my inbox and then assign them to Connie, my assistant, in front. Further to that, there are some things that are coming into our Hello account or a sales account that maybe I need to respond to personally. I can look at those inboxes and say, you know, I'm going to assign that to me and then I'm going to take care of it. So it allows me to kind of keep that communication and the tasks oriented around communications inside of this, this, this tremendous app that keeps you know, my task management application looking cleaner. And and I, I have to say it's really transformed the way that, that, you know, we've worked in it. Let's say I need to loop Connie into an email. All I have to do is mention her. Like, so just at mention her on the thread. And if I want to assign it to her, well, you know, I just, and, and remove it from my inbox, let's say I can do that. And I have, uh, if I want to automate an assignment so that all similar messengers go to her, well, I, I I can do that because I never, ever have to look at those emails again. She's got that covered. If I need to reference the CRM or project management tool to respond, there are 50 app integrations that are right there in, in our inbox, and ours is there. We use Asana. It's one of those. So it's fantastic. And with Front's efficient email for teams, this is really this is really cool. Customers have reported that every person on their teams save an average of six hours per week that would otherwise be spent managing email. So that's not just responding, that's managing, dealing with all that stuff. That's six more hours to focus on the work that matters or to get the time away from work that you need to be most productive. Because I'm a big believer that email it often isn't the work that needs to be done. It's it's part, it's just a small part of it. And with front We've been able to get out of that. And it's been great. Even though we have a task app that does certain things, front is that bridge. And I used to believe that you can't use email as a task management solution. And I have to say that front has bridged that gap and is allowing us to manage certain tasks inside of email, which I didn't think would be possible. And front is letting us do that efficiently and effectively. So kudos to front. And I think you got to give it a try. So if you're ready to transform your team's productivity with email, that's more efficient and more effective. You can get started with front today for just $9 per month. All you need to do is visit frontapp.com slash timecrafting, and you can start your free trial 
today. So I highly encourage you to check out Front. Uh, they have it's it's the email app that that we're using as a team, and it's working phenomenally well. And I know it can do the same for you and your team. So again, go to frontapp.com/timecrafting to start your free trial today. And I'd like to thank Front for sponsoring this episode of the Productivity Podcast. Now let's get back to the show. When it comes to your daily routine, like what you do, how you frame your day, regardless of writing or otherwise. Because again, I think how you start and end your day has an, is an indicator of performance. I mean, think about the way uh, a, a, you know, a baseball game is framed or a football game. Like we know that there's always going to be four quarters. We maybe There might be an overtime. You never know in football. Uh, hockey, there's always going to be three periods, possibly overtime. Baseball, you could have, you know you're, there's a first inning and you know there's going to be a last inning. How do you frame your day with routine and rich or even do you? Uh, I do. Uh, I do. And um, in some ways, I mean, you know, uh, my days, I'm waking up in different cities all the time because of uh, a pretty um, hectic public speaking career that's really blossomed over the last few years. Mm-hmm. And so that, that makes um, so. Uh, but my first element of every day, I'm blessed in that I got the, the chance a late in life. So I was 45 when I became a dad for the first time. Wow. And so uh, I'm blessed to have a 10-year-old and a 9-year-old. Uh, they're actually in my office today because today is a non-school day in mm-hmm. uh, in, in our town. And uh, so I am blessed to open every day with a conversation. Is there, I mean, they're up before I am because that's, that's for whatever reason, that's how they're wired. So when I get up, it's, uh, they're, they're, they're the first two people I get to talk to every morning. And I love that. Um, and even when I'm on the road, doesn't matter where I am in the world, um, my day begins, even if it means, uh, calling from the middle of the night somewhere, uh, you know, in Hawaii, uh, or wherever it might be to calling them on their way to school every day. And so I somehow, I just find this amazing peace and, uh, groundedness. I don't even know if that's a word. Um, but, um, I find that I, my day just begins differently when I get a chance to begin it in conversation with them somehow. What else, what else has changed? Actually, let's, 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 let's go in that direction. Cause I, I've got two kids myself. Um, it was funny. I started my, when I, <laughs> I hit 30 kid, married kid house. Like I just decided to do it all <laughs> at 30 initially. And we now have, uh, my daughter is now 13 and uh, my son is eight. And I mean, yeah, there's, there's something about when kids come into the picture that it, it, it really, you know, alters your perspective. And you talked a little bit about that just now. Um, what kind of lessons are you passing on to them in terms of like, you know, how they can, I mean, again, and they're still in their formative years, right? Their brains are still very plastic. Like, how are you, how are you trying to frame your, the way you share, uh, the way you are with them so that they can, you know, hopefully perform at a level that will allow them to live the life that they really want to and thrive. My guess is that, um, you know, it's so funny because I have, so I have other people who say, gosh, I wish you would, I wish you would talk to my kids, right? I wish you could say the things you say to uh, to, to me or an audience or whatever. I wish you could say this to my kids. And sometimes I'll do that. Sometimes I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer, pick up the phone and, and, uh, and, and call their kids. Um, but my guess is that I, I I'm going to, I'll, I'll, 
as is usually the case, I will have greater impact on other people's kids for a while anyway. Mm-hmm. Still, I'll have on mine because my kids roll their eyes at all the stuff we talk about, right? Um, my kids know that, uh, I mean, I have, um, I have developed over the course of a lifetime, uh, you know, key words that matter to me, key words that I, that I call my action words. They're part of my, my daily existence. I look at them and every day I try to make sure I'm at my best. I mean, the, the, you know, my favorite word is compete. I believe that we are um, that we are competitive animals. That we are better when we are competing. It's something every day, and I I find everything I do an opportunity uh, to compete. I want to be my best at whatever it is I do, whether it's uh, being on a podcast or writing a book, right? Whether it's um, uh, I, I just I love I think being compete being able to compete is your is your greatest is the greatest gift the the world gives you. And then, you know, my second favorite word is finish. I believe that if we get a chance to compete, uh, it's our job to, to, to take that to its natural end, whatever that means. And, um, and so we, you know, my kids, we talk about these words all the time, you know, uh, what does it mean? Uh, what does it mean to grow? What does it mean to, uh, to, to, to seek feedback? Um, you know, I, I, mean, I, anyway, I have a list of 15 words that kind of are the drivers of our of many of the conversations that occur in our household. Um, my guess is they're over them, um, but but they, they continue to entertain me by talking to me about them, which is great. Don, as we get close to wrapping up here, I want to ask you about habits again as we, as, we, as we come close to the end of the interview here and our conversation. People, there are people who struggle with maintaining habits. I'll give you a, a really a personal example. Uh, as of right now, I am, I'm, I've been a nail biter for years. Have never, uh, have always struggled with, uh, you know, not biting a nail, let alone all of them. <laughs> and only recently, uh, have I really made a concerted effort to not do that. And it had largely to do with me focusing more on video. And I was, uh, I think I was doing a, a close up of my hands holding a pen and I saw, that they did not look very good at all. <laughs> um, so that was like the impetus for me to really kind of uh, push into it. But my brain has been so wired over many years to just, oh, well, you bite your nails. That's what you do. How do you, how, how would you help those? Maybe that's a, an example for me, but there's obviously a, many other habits that people either want to break or that people want to establish, such as a workout routine or a meditation practice or writing 500 words a day. What what do you say to people uh, from what you've learned over the years to, that can help them either break bad habits or establish good ones? See, most, so most of the experiences that I, I've had personally and that I've that I've had the chance to learn from great winners came down to consequences, right? Mm-hmm. What's the what's the consequence for a, a, a bad habit, right? If the consequence is nothing, if it's you know big big deal, then uh, you know then you then your likelihood of actually putting the emotional and mental energy into breaking the habit is is will be no big deal, right? Um, and so, uh, even, I mean, I, I will tell you early on in my career, I struggled sometimes with deadlines. I was one of those who I may have everything I need to know and do, uh, the piece could be due tomorrow morning at eight and I'll just sit around in the evening and, and talk to people or do whatever. And then begin writing at midnight because I know I, then I'd have eight hours to get it done. And, and that just made no sense, right? Why would I do that? Why mm-hmm. would I put that extra stress on myself? And so, um, so I, I 
asked this question of a number of great achievers. And what they said was that you need to create consequences to yourself for uh, for doing the things that you know you shouldn't be doing. What are those? Con- and, um, and, and, and they often are self-imposed. So one of the things we came up with for me was um, I started setting slightly earlier deadlines. I identified an organization that I do not support. Like they do, they, they stand for something I do not believe in. Yeah, I've seen this before too. It's quite compelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I wrote a check to that organization, taped it to the refrigerator. And every day when I walked by it, I knew that if I missed this deadline that I established, that check was going in the mail. And I did that. And somebody taught, I can't, I can't even remember who taught me this. It's probably 15 years ago. And I started doing it because I wanted to create consequences for my um, and, you know, I wish I were so personally driven. I could tell you, you know, that all I had to do was look myself in the mirror and say, you're letting that man down. I, I, I'm not that kind of, I'm not that good. Right. Mm-hmm. I wish I were. I had to create some kind of other consequence and I needed the check. Ultimately, as time grew and success came in certain areas, I needed the check to get bigger. Right. So that I really would feel it if I, if I, if I had to mail that check. Um, I will tell you, I've never mailed one of those checks, but there have been times <laughs> where that has been the idea. I had to create um, some threshold for pain to tell me I had that if I failed to meet this commitment, this this uh, to, to myself, um, this habit. If I didn't break this habit, um, and it, you know uh, that I would I would I would suffer in some way. So. Uh, I'm not sure that was the uh, that that gave you the answer you're looking for. Uh, it, uh, it, uh, no, I think that that's. I mean, uh, you know, if, if you've got uh, there is that that the anti uh, that that people if it pushes it back at them if they're like you know and my friend Charlie Gilkey who's been on the show before he's done this too where he tells people hey listen you write a check for an organization that you have no interest in supporting at all. In fact, you would be, it repulses you to even think of supporting them, write a check. And he actually has them, I believe he has them send him the check first. So then if he keeps them accountable, so there's even to that degree, because I think. Oh, now I like that. (laughs) I like that. Although what I would ask is that they write the check to me. (laughs) Why are you somebody that would be so. (laughs) You know what? If, 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 if being reprehensible, uh, no, I'm just joking. (laughs) No, that's a great idea. I love that. That's, I have never thought of um, actually asking somebody else because I've always known that I could mail that check if I had to. So we talked a little bit earlier about this, this idea of sports metaphors kind of being played out, you know, the idea that, you know, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, the Wayne Gretzky quote, or the idea that the best baseball players only hit the ball 30% of the time. And, you know, those, those work for me. Because, uh, you know, I am a sports fan. I watch it. I mean, when your MVP of the American League, Jose Altuve last year, what he hit like three... 24 or something like that like the idea that they fail more often than they succeed yet they keep going i think that matters why do you think some people kind of brush those quotes or those ideas aside because i think if they if they paid more attention to them or understood them more they they take they they go a little easier on themselves when it comes to things not working out for them i i think actually uh where i hear it most often is people who are just um, you know, there are some leaders who just uh, will will lean too heavily on a sports analogy where every 
you know, every staff meeting begins with, um, you know, a, a description of what it's like to be in a, in a huddle here uh, as first and 10 begins, you know. And, oh, and yeah, yeah. So sometimes yeah. I, I think what happens is that you've worked for or worked with someone who might have uh, maybe, uh, if I could say this properly, abused the privilege of using sports analogies to help you. Uh, but the second part is that some people just think, ah, you know, um, I'm just I'm I I don't like sports. I don't I, I can't relate to sports. Uh, yet it's fascinating to me. Those very same people will love analogies that might come from uh, the Navy SEALs or mm-hmm. from someone who climbed, you know, a mountain with one arm. You know, right. n- none of which none of which we will do either. Right. You know, <laughs> we, we will not achieve any of those things. And yet we're willing to learn from them. So I think I think what you the answer, the long answer to your question that I'm giving you here, sorry, is that I think some people just choose to not have a, a perspective, an openness to say, you know what, I may not understand that game or that point, but but maybe I but but there's clearly something in it that resonates. Let me learn from it. Um, the people who are open, uh, I, I don't even if they don't like sports, they'll ultimately understand. You know, we're getting a chance to look at competitive people um, uh, trying to be successful. And what should we not want to learn uh, from that environment? It, you know, um, so I, I, I think it's I think the one reason people don't do it is because they they experience somebody who maybe overused the privilege of sharing these things. The second part is they might just uh, be plain straight out. I don't like sports, so I don't want to learn from anybody that likes sports. Last question as we as we wrap up here. I mean, I'm a voracious reader. I'm sure as I mean, as a writer, I'm sure you are too. Um, if you have to pick three books, uh, and they could be all yours if they want, what when it comes to uh, performance and, and bettering oneself, what three books would you recommend people pick up and read? So um, I loved uh, the book Good to Great. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, Jim Collins, Jim, right? Yeah. Jim Collins was amazing in his in the level of, and again, because I'm a I'm fascinated by people who get who gain access and then do something with the access that they've gained. And that's what Jim Collins did, right? He got all these people to let him uh, share stories, uh, to share stories. Uh, the second is, um, I cannot find it right now, but it, I, I had it in here not long ago in my, but on the power of storytelling. And uh, because I think that there's an art form in storytelling that we can all learn from and we can all be better as a result. Uh, and and then the final one, um, is uh, is a fictional book, which is interesting to me because I, I don't read a lot of fiction. Um, but uh, the Notebook. Um, oh, Nicholas Sparks. Uh, Nicholas Sparks. I, I met Nick. I, Nicholas and I were part of a uh, book signing together a few years ago in North Carolina. He gave me a copy of the book. Uh, my mother had passed from Alzheimer's, and so the uh, the but but just the the beauty of his writing and the ability to um, to love. And appreciate I, again. I'm not a big fiction fan, but to appreciate someone else's efforts to tell a story as well as he did meant a lot to me. And he is a prolific writer. Like, I mean, That's, every time I look around, I'm like, there's another Nicholas Sparks book out. <laughs> yeah, the guy's a beast. I love that, uh, Don. This has been a fantastic uh, conversation. Thanks so much for taking the time today. Where can people uh, find out more about you and see what's going on and, and just keep up with you, Mike? Thank you. I, I yeah, I. 
the reason I enjoy uh, you know, grabbing time with uh, with guys like you is that you've got an audience that most of whom have probably never heard of me. Uh, DonYeager.com is my website, D-O-N-Y-A-E-G-E-R.com. We, we, we share a daily quote, a little nugget of inspiration every morning at 8 a.m. Eastern. We we do a podcast every week with Forbes, excuse me, a, a blog every week with Forbes. Um, and, uh, and our goal is just to kind of constantly be sharing and inspiring other people. So hopefully if any of this resonated, uh, they'll connect and I would be grateful. Don, thanks so much for joining me today on the show. Mike, I appreciate it. Big thanks to Don Yeager for joining me on the show. We actually had a conversation just before what you heard and just after. Lots of great stuff uh, throughout this episode. And again, if you haven't picked up his work, just go to go to the website. All the links are in the show notes. And, you know, again, a, an absolute fantastic time chatting with him today. Big thanks to our sponsors for this episode as well. Text Expander. Again, if you want to get 20% off your first year, go to textexpander.com slash podcast. And if you want to start your free trial of Front, another sponsor of this episode, you can go to frontapp.com slash timecrafting and get started on that as well. So big thanks to our sponsors of this episode as well. Big thanks to Connie for putting together the show notes. Big thanks to my wife, Anne, uh, for helping, you know, kind of navigate the show uh, guests and all that stuff and, and dealing with that. I know Connie's doing more of that these days, but Anne had a lot to do behind the scenes with that as well. And thanks to John Polster, a producer of this show as well. He always puts the shows together. And by the way, if you are interested in sharing your thoughts on this episode or any episode of the show, please ratings and reviews in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening to the show be greatly appreciated. It helps us make the show better. We do review these these comments, this feedback from time to time so we can look and see what we're doing right, what, what I need to improve upon, and it just helps us make the show better. Plus, ratings and reviews makes this show more discoverable in the podcasting platforms that we're in, and then more people can listen to the show. We've got a lot of great guests lined up coming up. We're, we're actually booked all the way through until the summer, so lots of great stuff coming up, and I want to thank you for listening, and if you don't want to miss a single episode, be sure to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to podcasts. That's it for this episode. Thanks again for joining me. I'm Mike Barty, the host of the Productivities Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going. See you later. <laughs>